Hi, this is Jeff. Before we get started with today's episode, which is a great one that we're really proud of, I have one quick favor to ask of you. If you work for IBM, go to ibm.biz slash newstudio. That's ibm.biz slash newstudio. All one word, all lowercase, no spaces. That's the page where you can go and vote for our site funding project idea for a professional-ish recording studio. It costs you nothing. It's just a way of saying, hey, IBM, this sounds like a good idea. Why don't you spend a little money on it? And uh, we think it's a good idea. Hopefully you do too. You see, right now we're recording this show out of Frank's office, which, as nice as it is, is definitely not a recording studio. We're also using our own equipment for these recordings, and uh, it hasn't been cheap. So we want to make a studio with halfway decent microphones, acoustic paneling, and good audio interfaces so everything sounds good from square one. And not just for us. It's for anyone here who wants to start doing a podcast. It's taken us 19 episodes to figure out how to get things kind of, sort of, mostly all right sounding. And we have a lot of fun with it, but it's been a lot of work figuring it out this far. Imagine someone with an idea for a show being able to start with professional audio right from day one. Or someone who wants to record a quick voiceover for a demo without it sounding like they're shouting into a tin can. We can make this happen and you can help. So go to ibm.biz slash newstudio, that's ibm.biz slash newstudio, and vote for our project. That's it. Thank you for your support, and enjoy the show. Old Man Frank, take it away. Welcome to Terminal Talk, episode 18. 18. We have an awesome episode for you today. We have Lily Tang, who's been doing... <laughs> what, what are you doing? Uh, Frank, I have some breaking news. Oh, that's right. It's coming in off the wire. For those of you attending IBM Z Technical University, uh, November 13th through 17th in Washington, Washington D.C., Terminal Talk will have a presence there. We'll be set up in a room and we'll be doing interviews. Live interviews. Yes. So if you're a smarty pants and you want to be on the show talking about your stuff, we would love to talk to you. Or if you want to entrap someone else and don't tell them until they get there and let them be on the show. I would say you want to present them with an opportunity. There you go. Right. Um, let us know and we will find them and hunt them down and drag them back to the room. And we won't say your name until afterward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's going to be a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Up to this point, we've had to have people who are in the Poughkeepsie vicinity. Yeah, it was kind of limited to people who want to come to Frank and Jeff's office. Which is never, no. never a positive thing. <laughs> uh, this will give us a chance to talk to people who spend a lot of time in the field, um, a lot of customers. It'd be great to have uh, people who are not part of IBM <laughs> in the show. Yeah, something new. Uh, we think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, look forward to new in it. And maybe, depending on the size of the room, we can actually have guests uh, ask questions. Yeah, so that's IBM Z Technical University, November 13th through the 17th, Washington, Washington D.C., District of Columbia. And there's a website. Just Google it. I mean, come on, just Google it. Yeah, I'm not going to do all that. www. backslash ampersand hash thingy. Yeah. That's nice. All right, that's all I have. Let's go back to Frank with his introduction. Yeah, we have Lily Tang who uh, does Izoda yeah. um, development, and she's really, really awesome. 
you know, you think of somebody who's been in the company for only like two years. Yep. She can do an awful lot on the system. And I think she really breaks that that belief that you have to somehow have worked on a platform for some really long time before you're productive. She's doing awesome things. She really brings a fresh perspective into the mainframe professional. And it's good to see that because, yeah, like you were saying, a lot of people say, well, in order to get where I am, you had to follow exactly in my footsteps. And here's somebody who's learning so much and accomplishing so much uh, coming at it from a fresh direction. It's just it's great to see that. Well, and it's great to see somebody who has technical chops that are not mainframe technical chops and suddenly be able to use them in an entirely new venue. Yep. So uh, I can't wait for you guys to hear Lily Tang. Set your reader to receive. You're being transmitted another episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. Okay. We have uh, Lily Tang, who is a software developer and part-time data scientist. Mm -hmm. Good way of describing it. So uh, why don't you start by telling us what you normally do? Um, essentially, a lot of what I do is different, you know, sprint to sprint. But um, I guess for, you know, our release from two Fridays ago, what I had mostly been doing was a lot of different testing of when we ported a bunch of tools to ZOS. So some of the testing around that to make sure that a lot of the um, different packages and whatever applications still work on ZOS. Um, so a lot of testing around that area. Some also data science work. So that includes um, creating some demos for POCs as well as creating IVPs, uh, installation verification programs to make sure that, you know, when you install our product that it still works and that you have this script and you can run it successfully through. <laughs> for, for those that uh, aren't aware of uh, I- IZOTA, what, what, what does it do? Yeah, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> so um, IZOTA, essentially what it is, it's divided into three different parts. So I guess some people that might be listening are aware that there's um, one product called IBM Apache Spark 4 ZOS. And essentially that got merged into IZOTA. So now Apache Spark is now under this IZOTA umbrella, as well as ODL. Um, That stands for the optimized data layer. Uh, Some people may know it as MDS, Mainframe Data Service, I believe is uh, what it stands for. But it's it's what lets uh, Spark get to all the mainframe. Right, exactly. So pretty much, I guess it's a data abstraction so that... You have something called Data Service Studio where you can just essentially create these virtual tables to get your mainframe data and create relational views of this data and be able to retrieve it within the application. Okay. So that's the second part of Izoda. And then the third part is the part that I primarily worked on, which is the Anaconda part. And a lot of data scientists out there would know that Anaconda is a package installer and environment manager. And it seems to be the the one that a lot of people are leaning towards for analytics and machine learning and that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of data scientists use it today. Uh, it's, it's extremely easy. You can separate environments. You can easily reproduce other people's environments so that, you know, you always run into issues with different versions of things. Well, like, oh, I have this version and then someone has this version and then, like, the environment's broken and nothing runs and blah, blah, <laughs> blah. So with Anaconda, that makes it really easy to do that. 
So, so you know, the the Holy Trinity got going on there. You have access to all the, ma- or you know, a, a good majority of the mainframe data. Mm-hmm. You have the ability to data science it all around, and you have Spark there for the the analytics for the, for those types of tools. So, is yeah. that is that where all the packages come in that you were talking about earlier? Yeah. So some of the packages are from. The Anaconda stack of Izoda. So Anaconda is cool because it comes uh, for our offering. We are bringing in a lot of different data science packages, uh, Python packages that many di- data scientists are familiar with, such as NumPy, SciPy, Scikit-Learn. So essentially what we're doing is we're bringing all these analytics tools to the mainframe so that you so that it's closer to the data and you can run all these, you know, cool visualizations or whatever you want to do with your data and then, you know, be able to get some insightful results about it. So does that only work with mainframe data then? Or? No, it doesn't. No, you, you could work with other types of data. I guess Ginny had said, what what is it, 80% of the data is not searchable, right? So I guess that's our primary, you know, what we're trying to deliver here is that you can now access the mainframe data through ODL, which I had mentioned previously, so with Java applications and Python applications, you have two different methods of access, accessing your mainframe data. But it doesn't necessarily have to be mainframe data. It could be any kind of data, CSV files or whatnot. And, right. Yeah. So, so you are basically creating an environment or managing an environment that will allow me to take the mainframe data and unite it with data that's off-platform. In, in the modeling. Oh, yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, you can uh, take something, you know, take t- Twitter, you know, tweets out there and just kind of take data off platform, data on platform, you know, take both of them and then you get whatever results you want to see and, you know, whatever you're interested in predicting or whatever. So this, is a, this must have been a great opportunity for you to kind of get your hands into a lot of the operating system and, and related platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, it's kind of cool because... You know, this all run, all runs on ZOS, and essentially what I what I interface in is I SSH into a ZOS system, which which is where I do a lot of my testing. So then there's that portion, and then um, as part of our solution, the front end part you can run Jupyter notebooks, and Jupyter notebooks would be run somewhere you know on an x86 Linux or you know Linux on Z, and then so you know I'm working with all these different systems, but then Primarily, the execution of the code is actually done on ZOS. So wait a minute. You tell me you do all this mainframe stuff and you're not using ISPF to do that? I am not. I cannot tell you the first name about ISPF, so don't ask me anything. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, you do a lot of programming as well as uh, the work in Jupyter Notebooks outside of that environment? So most of so if I am doing something within Jupyter Notebooks, a lot of it is within each you know code cell of the Jupyter Notebooks. Um, there is some you know more sysadmin work that needs to be done to get this setup going because you have Jupyter Notebook running off platform, but then you know you have your kernels that are on ZOS. So there's some setup that has to go behind the scenes. Um, we're caling it. JKG2AT. Uh, so that's oh, Jupiter just... Kernel Gateway to Apache Torre. Yeah, um, yeah that's nice. Check out. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The typical IBM acronym. But if we were playing Scrabble, you just dominate with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
next time we have Neil on, we're going to have to give him that acronym <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> He'll throw chairs. Yes, probably. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue very nicely. What is it one more time? JKG2AT. You're going to have to write that <laughs> I, I have to think about it before I say it. So. <laughs> How can we change easy source? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I might leave that in. <laughs> I think you should leave that in. That's awesome. Oh, man. <laughs> can, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Anaconda packages? Yeah. So um, pretty much what we are offering are just, you know, a lot of the different Anaconda packages that are offered from Continuum. And okay. so we are offering a similar set of packages, again, as I had mentioned previously, like NumPy, SciPy, Scikit-Learn. Yeah. Um, all these different tools are pretty much for data visualization, also for some data analysis. You know, um, Pandas is great because you can view your data that you, you know, you got from the mainframe or not from the mainframe or whatever, and then be able to view it in, you know, kind of relational tables. So then you can use all these packages and then be able to do all these things very easily within a Jupyter notebook or, or you know, if you prefer running it straight through the Python interpreter. doesn't necessarily have to be in a Jupyter notebook. But Anaconda, of course, is great for packages, but it's also good, as I had mentioned previously, for managing environments. So usually a mm-hmm. admin would set up, I guess, the root environment, and that environment would have all the, pa- you know, all the different data science packages that we're offering. And then you know, people that are working on this system, they can create their own environments so then they can, you know, pull different versions from our Anaconda channel that we have out there in the Anaconda cloud. Okay, so it's it's it manages all the uh, dependencies. Yes, exactly. Yes. So when you do something like a Conda install, I, I don't know, Pandas or something, right. then yeah, then it will install all its dependencies. And so you don't have to worry about any of that. Nice. Yeah. So you um, do you write most of your code in Python, in Java, a little bit of both? Uh, a little bit of both because uh, Spark is based on its Scala. And then, you know, Anaconda, I do a lot of the Python with the Python packages. So a lot of my work has been with both. Um, for testing the Python packages, that was all Python um, for testing some of the uh, – oh, also for testing PySpark, that was also Python. PySpark is essentially a Python you know, module that will interface with Spark APIs. So with PySpark, that was a lot of Python. For you know, typical defects or any kind of development work with Spark, that's all pretty much Scala. Yeah. And you do – can you talk a little bit about like uh, some of your demos – because um, I, I, the GitHub page you have, and we'll, we'll plug it, you know, at some point, um, has a lot of uh, examples and demos and just good information on it. But a, a lot of the stuff, your name is on it. So, you know, can you tell us about like some of your favorites out there? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the demos that are out there, again, is kind of to show what you can do with your data. So one of them that's out there, it essentially predicts uh, credit risk of clients. So, you know, whether someone will default on their loan or not default. Um, So I got this data from the machine learning repository. It's some German data. And essentially the flow of it within this Jupyter notebook is first you do some kind of 
pre-processing. Well, actually, no, sorry. First, you actually get the data from ODL. Right. Um, so essentially what we did was we turned the data into vSAM data and then, you know, used ODL and DSS to create the virtual tables to get to get the mainframe data into like a relational view within these tables. And then within the Jupyter Notebook, we get the data from ODL using a Python library uh, that we're calling DSDBC. And then after we get the data, the second part would be more data munging, so some pre-processing on the data so that we can feed these into machine learning algorithms and to perform some exploratory analysis. And then after that, we do write the exploratory analysis, which we use matplotlib and seaborn. And then after that, we will then do some kind of predictive learning. In a lot of the examples that I use, I've used random forest and logistic regression because those are, you know, nice and easy and can be done within scikit-learn within a couple of lines. So. And I'm just going to keep nodding like I know what any of those mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I get, you know, I think we get the, those yeah, are examples of algorithms. And, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But for the data scientists that are listening, I think they would. You know, oh, yeah. Kind of get the, random forest. Two. Yeah. And is it, is some of those are... are um, forward-facing and non-regressional algorithms because you're doing you're trying to predict when somebody might default right right yeah so, so when we, why would you pick you know i'm just saying random forest over another one that, in that case oh yeah um well there's a lot of advantages and you know disadvantages to all these algorithms so mostly what i do as a data scientist i try a bunch of algorithm a bunch of different machine learning algorithms so the classic one is generally logistic regression that's been around like for ages and uh for something like that it's you know it's easy there's not much tuning that needs to be done it's easy to regularize so that's why logistic regression is generally a good first choice uh random forest is also another really good choice and one that's prevalently used like everywhere by data scientists Again, that's also something that's easy. It's called it's known as an ensemble method because it it has a bunch of decision trees, and then uh, it uses all these decision trees to you know come out with a prediction. So it actually so. D- makes guesses and branches. The the forest has branches. Very nice, based yeah. on the data that it's seeing. <laughs> ah. I see how that works. Yeah. yeah. So you have all these different decision trees. And then in the end, you actually have a lot of bad decision trees. But what's good about it is that it kind of all cancels each other out. So you're left with like really good decision trees that are like really robust and good at predicting. So I don't know. It's fun stuff. It sounds like data scientists talk to me. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it actually does. Sound, you know, I, I see you're passionate about it so yeah it's, it's, i love it yeah yeah that's that's that's, that's great we have a, a ton of data you can play with so <laughs> yeah yeah no complaints here that's so definitely you, one of the problems so you do a lot of math then in this or are these just here's a set of algorithms and we start driving data through no them? yeah it's actually not a, a lot of math at all um i'm nerdy so i like to learn the math behind it but all these uh python libraries like it's all just like a simple like oh logistic regression, put in these parameters, and then boom, here's your model sort of thing. Yeah, so a lot of the math is already, you know, done behind the scenes. So, I mean, to fully understand it, you would want to learn the math. But, um, yeah, as far as the most that's, you know, the user would actually have to do is kind of tune the parameters to create the model. Yeah. So can you, you know, as a part-time data scientist, 
Can you explain uh, to the listeners who aren't data scientists, which I think are probably more, right, um, what what the day in a life of a data scientist is? You start by putting on your lab coat. Yeah, you have to, right? <laughs> your clipboard. That's right. Got to yeah. have those. Protractor. Right. <laughs> got to have all the, all the utensils of math. <laughs> Pencils. Erlenmeyer flask. Flying <laughs> <laughs> bottle. Yeah. So for, I mean, for me, it's a little different because I also have to, I also do a lot of, you know, the different development work. Um, but generally as a data scientist, I would say a bunch of your time is spent on cleaning data to make it more, you know, structured and more, you know, something that you can feed into a model or feed into some of these Python packages to do more analysis on. So a bunch of the time is really spent on how to create these features or how to, uh, I guess, yeah, like represent these features. Because um, obviously a computer, they don't know what red or blue is, right? So then you kind of have to be, you kind of have to do some kind of encoding for so that the computer can kind of, you know, try to distinguish these different things. So a lot of the work is done uh, cleaning the data, and then, you know, a lot of the work is also done with presenting, you know, results to clients. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised when you were describing the flow. It's like, okay, we'll grab the data. And then there were like 20 more steps before doing, you know, doing calculations on it. So is it like, like uh, you know, setting bounds and finding numerical ways of representing non-numerical data? Exactly. So the non-numerical data, that needs to be something that's taken care of. Uh, There's a lot of different solutions out there. There's something called, you know, one-hot encoding or uh, I forget the technical term of the other one, but there's different label encodings you can do. And then, um, yeah, even after that, the data, there's still some feature engineering that could be done to make your machine learning algorithm better. So I don't know, for instance, maybe you don't want something... This might be a silly example. Like maybe maybe like dollars isn't a good way to capture it, and then maybe you want to represent it in a different way. You know, there's different representations of all these different data. You may want to get rid of get rid of some features. You may want to, you know, expand upon it. It's mm-hmm. it's definitely a lot of work behind what kind of input you want to feed into your model. And then determining the right model takes a while as well, right? Yeah, definitely you want to try out a bunch of models and see what works best for your data, generally speaking. Um, like I said, there's usually the go-tos, which are nice and easy. And then, you you know, sometimes you want to dig deeper. Um, I know Scikit-Learn has a lot of different libraries that help with um, finding the best hyperparameters for those models. So those are some – I know there's one like called Grid Search that's good for that. And, and you, you, you're saying you're talking about features, and I don't think it means what I think it means. Can you talk about what a feature is? Yeah. So features are how do I describe? So a model will take in input, right? So your machine learning model takes in some inputs, and these inputs are, I guess, in a mathematical sense, denoted by x's. So it's usually like some kind of vector, and then. You know, you have X1, X2, all the way to, like, Xn, where N is the number of features that you have. So if we're taking, like, a classic, like, housing prices or something, right? Right. So if I'm trying to predict housing prices, some of the features into our model 
could be uh, what's the number of rooms, what's the square footage, uh, you know, number of bathrooms, you know, things like that. So those are the different features that you feed into the model. It will, you know, try to do, you know, create the model based on these features and then finally have some outputs that will say, you know, kind of what the pricing is. That That's a regression problem, not a classification, but yeah. Wow. I think I got that. I think it makes sense. Yeah, I'm glad I asked though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you haven't, you haven't. How long have you been working on on this specific project? This specific project, uh, let's see, about a little less than a year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before that, I was on. I, so I've been at IBM for about two and a half years now. So before that, I was on something else uh, called IBM Z Aware. Yeah. And that was also based around analytics and Yes, that was also based around analytics. So essentially what IBM Zware is, it's a machine learning solution that detects anomalies within your upper log messages or your syslog messages. Um pretty much the advantage of using IBM Zware is so that there is no downtime so that you can detect the anomalies before it before, you know, something critical might happen, um, you know, because a lot of times systems and, you know, when certain tasks run, it's very per- periodic, right? So then if you see that, like, something's not running and then it's like, you know, it's like, oh, no, like, this isn't running. And then you see it within uh, our Zware UI and see that, you know, maybe this system uh, it has an anomaly score of much higher than usual, right. then you know that maybe something's going on with that system, and then that's where you know you kind of take a look and make sure you know it's not going haywire. And, yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you and you were doing development for that. I was. Yeah. And, and you didn't use ISBF then either. No, I used uh, Eclipse. Okay. Yeah. So you you did all your uh, development within Eclipse, uh-huh. and never seriously never logged on to the system, right? You were able to. You yeah. were able to do this from from an editing environment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All just straight, yeah. Application work, Java. Yep. Awesome. And then you would submit jobs through that interface as well, or did you never even have to do that? It was all online. Oh, oh, you mean through Zaware itself? Yeah. Uh, I mean, all that is done real time. So essentially, you would have something called. Oh, you guys are really testing my memory. <laughs> uh, just make up some letters. We won't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, I think I so I, you have something called analytics manager, I believe what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially you would, I guess, have some kind of socket that feeds in the data real yep. time. Uh, that part I wasn't, that was a lot of C code and that part I was less familiar with. But essentially, yeah, you, you know, you have some socket that feeds in. And you were doing more of the, more the analytics side. Yeah, I was definitely, stuff. yeah, I was more on the analytics side. Yep. So, uh, you know, it seems like analytics is the thing of of the future in computing, mm-hmm. right? Um, do you see that there will continue to be work on Z for this kind of thing? Or do you say, think, well, you know, I've done Z for two, three years. Maybe I'll go work somewhere else. Oh, no, absolutely. There's always, I mean, there's so much data here, right? I mean, the amount of things you can do with this data is just I there's it's endless I mean you know I I can't foresee that ever happening we're like oh we don't need to analyze this 
<laughs> this data. Like, we it's don't good. Need... Let me dust off yeah. my hands and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. Everything good. Cool. Right. Been done so I, I, yeah, I can't see that happening. I'm, you know, analytics, obviously, you hear all those buzz- buzzwords like cognitive and machine learning and whatnot. I mean, obviously, that's something that's a lot of tech companies are moving towards today. And I mean, IBM's no different. So, And you're familiar with the foundation, you know, the, the stuff that actually makes it work. So that's, it's got to be a little more interesting for you than somebody just saying cognitive. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, I don't even know what those terms mean anymore because it's just been so like overused and like, you know, just used in all these different contexts. So I, I honestly couldn't even, like, give a straight definition of what I think it is. <laughs> well, we can give the textbook definition. Yeah. But, yes. But the way it's operationally used is different. Right. This is all just tremendously cool. And uh, I'm hoping the people who are listening are excited and want to try it out. And if they do want to, you know, get started, what can they do to, you know, to play with it? Yeah, well, absolutely. We have a GitHub pages. It's at izoda.github.io. Izoda, one more time, izoda.github.io. So that's our GitHub pages, and you will find a lot of information on there. And we have, um, you know, a community, there's links to things uh, called the community cloud and some different, you know, IVPs out there. But essentially, there's the community cloud where you can starts, you know, just working through our, you know, Izoda product. And somebody sitting in a mainframe shop in, let's say... Uh, Pocatello, Idaho. Yeah, I was going to say Fish Camp, California. Fish Camp, California. Yeah, or, or even Ogden, Utah, uh, <laughs> who's interested in doing this. They can just do this on their own and start start playing around with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Just go to izoda.github.io. And uh, from what I see, there's lots of great demos out there. There are lots of great demos out there <laughs> that you can definitely go ahead and try them out. Awesome. Yeah, I heard there's a really good author of most of those demos. Yeah. I yeah. can't remember her name. No. Yeah, I wonder who that is. <laughs> <laughs> so I could uh, go out there, um, pull one of these models and figure out how long it's going to be before Jeff throws something at me again. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, what kind of, of data. There's a fair it depends amount on of the data. data. <laughs> what kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Lily, for, uh, for spending this time with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to say. That was just really, really nice. You, there's nothing that we can add. Right. Terminal talk. Take us out, Charlie. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.